0: Tonight's uh, passage is in Proverbs 3. It's on page 297, and the Bible's under the chair. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take one of these as a gift from Cornerstone. We hold God's word to be pretty important, so we uh, encourage you to take one home. Uh, the passage is Proverbs three thirteen through 35. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. they will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark.
1: Today we are in the book of Proverbs. We are continuing our series, Everyday Wisdom. You might have heard the verse as Mark was reading it about sleep. I was kind of wondering if any of us have trouble sometimes falling asleep. In my house, there's one little boy who doesn't always want to go to bed. <laughs> uh, Monica tucks him in, uh, but he starts to make noises. As soon as his head hits the, 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 the mattress, he doesn't want to go to sleep, and he makes it known. He begins to, to whine a little bit and cry a little bit and speak up a little bit. And Monica keeps telling me, I need to grow up. Uh, but... I'm going to pray now for the sermon. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sleep. Thank you for rest. Thank you for peace. We've been singing about peace and hope and joy, and that we get that through Christ Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. We love him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do want to start by talking a little bit about sleep. Uh, the, National peace, uh, the National Sleep Foundation offers a couple tips for falling asleep. Maybe you've heard of these, maybe you haven't. Maybe start winding down 30 minutes early. You can do that by reading a book or dimming the lights. You could Also, number two, stop looking at your cell phone. <laughs> Apparently the light in your cell phone can kind of mimic the light of daytime and wake you up. So if you wanna fall asleep better, you could turn that off. You could do a little breathing exercise, begin to breathe in and out and uh, relax. Number four, you can't fall asleep after 20 minutes, they suggest getting up and walking around and trying something relaxing and then trying to go back to sleep. Number five, actually getting up at the same time every day uh, apparently will help you sleep better. So no sleeping in on the weekends, unfortunately. What keeps you up at night? Maybe some of you are sound sleepers. Maybe some of you stay up because you're worrying or you're anxious. Or maybe you're worrying not about something but someone, someone you care about, a child, a parent, a friend, or a relationship that's difficult, a co-worker. Well, Proverbs tells us how to have a good night's rest. Verses 21 and 24, you can look down at your Bible. Verse 21 says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. And then skipping forward to verse 24, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. So one of the benefits of wisdom, I love it because it's so practical and we all need it, is just a good night's rest. Now I've defined wisdom as kind of a skill for living, a skill for living God's way. And I wanted to kind of continue to build on that definition, maybe expand it a little bit more to define wisdom as believing God's words and living God's ways. Believing God's words and living God's ways. So, if you can, li- if you can remember words and ways, you kind of get the idea of what wisdom is. In other words, if we're filling God- our minds and our hearts with God's words, and we're seeking to live His ways in our everyday life, then we are showing and, and seeking and pursuing wisdom. And I think the the benefit of that is that. Perhaps we'll get ourselves into less situations that then when we're trying to go asleep, we won't be worrying about those situations. This isn't a guarantee. Uh, Proverbs are not guarantees. They tend to be more like principles. So you could be an incredibly wise person but have trouble sleeping. But there is some wisdom to this passage that if we seek wisdom, it can help us sleep. Why do we need sleep? Because we all need rest. We all need peace. We all need peace that lasts. We need something more than momentary rest and when we go to sleep, when we're resting, that, that's like a picture of a, of a rest that's longer, that's more eternal, that's actually lasting and durable. And that's the peace we need. Because we can't always guarantee our sleep. We need peace in our hearts and in our minds and our relationships and in this world. Did you know that we as humanity, we once had this kind of peace. We, we did, we had it. We read about it actually a little bit in this Proverbs. See, we had peace, we had perfect peace in the garden. I'm talking about the Garden of Eden. See, there's a connection between wisdom, peace, and the garden. And I want us to look for it. I'm actually gonna read uh, through part of the passage again, verses 13 through 18, so you can follow along and maybe you can pick it out as we're going along. Verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. So this whole passage is about finding wisdom. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies, nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Here it is. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. The tree of life is not a common theme in the Bible. It's in Genesis, Proverbs, and Revelation. Do you see the connection between wisdom and peace in the garden? Wisdom is called the tree of life. Wisdom is compared to the tree of life, which is only found in the Garden of Eden. Not only that, but in verse 13, so if you kind of go back to verse 13, uh, blessed are those, so we're reading out of the NIV, it says blessed are those. In the Hebrew, it's actually blessed is the man. And the word for man in Hebrew is Adam. So blessed is the Adam. Blessed is the man who finds peace. Because that person who finds wisdom, that man, that Adam, finds the tree of life. See, wisdom is a path of peace that leads to the tree of life. Now, back in the Garden of Eden before sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve, they had perfect peace. Like, we can't even imagine what that is. They had perfect harmony in their relationship with God and each other. They lived and ate and walked in the garden. And God gave them one condition to maintain and stay in this paradise. Don't eat from the tree Of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a different tree than the tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I actually want to take us back to Genesis chapter 2. So, looking at Genesis 2, verses 9 and 16 and 17. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man. The Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So of course, what do Adam and Eve do? Satan, he's this serpent figure. He enters into the garden. He tempts Adam and Eve. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they disobey God and they shatter their peace. They lose their peace with God and man. They enter themselves and all of creation into this new state of brokenness, of sin, of fallenness. And we're still living in that world. It doesn't take much of a knowledge of the world to understand that things aren't right. That's the fruit. <laughs> That's the fruit of that decision in Eden. Adam and Eve were the very best of humans. So none of us would have made a better decision. They ate of that tree, and we and them fell into sin. But there's a problem, because in the Garden of Eden, if they stay there, they still have access to the tree of life. They still can go, and they can eat from that tree. And we don't know if they had or if they hadn't. But there's this idea that if they eat from that tree, they will live forever in their sin. That they will be permanently stuck in that state of wickedness and unholiness and unrighteousness and disobedience to God and in that state of brokenness of relationship. We actually see this in Genesis chapter three that God, maybe you wondered, why did God cast them out of the garden? It was an act of mercy that God cast them out of the garden because he was removing them from the tree of life, so that their, their condition would not be permanent, so that our condition wouldn't be permanent. Genesis 3, verse 22 and 24, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God casts Adam and Eve, humankind, you and me, out of the garden so that one day he can heal the garden and he can invite us back in. So that he can redeem the garden and heal all the hurt and all the brokenness. We had perfect peace And the garden. We've been trying to recapture it since then, and we have been unable to do so. Have you ever had a really good dream? So some of us dream a lot. Some of us don't dream very often. Apparently, I think that's a sign of good sleep. But you ever had a really good dream, and you're you're enjoying this dream? Maybe you're flying, or you're eating all the dessert you ever wanted, or uh, you're just spending time with loved ones or friends. Maybe good friends that you know or that have passed. You're having an amazing dream, and then you wake up, and you're like, no, I want to go back to sleep. How many of you, just by show of hands, can actually, like, pick up a dream where you left off once you've woken up? Wow, three of you, four of you, wow, you guys should, like, have, like, maybe a lecture or something to teach us how to do that. That would be great. I can't do that. I think I could do that when I was a kid. I think I remember like one or two times where that happened. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it woke them up. But it didn't wake them up to a a better reality. It woke them up to a nightmare, to a broken relationship with God and broken relationships with each other. And ever since then, we've all been trying to get back. To Eden. But we can't do it. We can't do it by our own works, by our own goodness. We had perfect peace in the garden, but we lost it. But thank God there is a way to recapture the garden. You and I can't do it. But there is a way, and the Bible talks about this dream of recapturing Eden. See, wisdom helps restore what we lost there. Wisdom helps restore what we lost in the garden. When we reject wisdom, we reject God. When we reject God's words and his ways, we're rejecting God himself. Because of that, we're actually rejecting peace in our own lives. We might experience momentary peace through breathing exercises or a good night's rest, but we're not experiencing long-lasting peace. Adam rejected God. He must have slept terribly that first night. But all was not lost. There was hope. So, a man named Solomon, a king, he wrote the first part of Proverbs here, and he writes that we can experience peace, we can experience the ways of peace, the paths of peace, we can experience the tree of life, at least in part, not in full, through wisdom. Looking at 17 and 18 again, it says, her wisdom's ways are pleasant ways and her, all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. See, through wisdom we can restore two kinds of peace. And I've already been talking about them a little bit. We can restore the peace we lost inside of us. Perhaps not fully, but, but we can restore it. See, that first type of peace that we lose is, is a break in relationship with God. And through a restored relationship with God through, through seeking God's words and God's ways, we can reestablish that peace between ourselves and God. See, rejection of wisdom creates fear and unrest that, because there's this, this recognition of a broken relationship with God. But we can get that internal sense of peace back, at least in part. Verses 21 through 26. I want to read those of Proverbs 3. My son... Father figure talking to a son figure. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. The Lord will be at your side. Well, that hasn't happened since the garden. (laughs) The word for Lord here is in all capitals. Maybe you've seen that down in your your Bible. It's like this uppercase capitals that are a little bit smaller. And that's a a signal that this is actually saying the special name of God in the, the original Hebrew. God's special covenant name. That he gave his people Israel to to be in relationship with him. It's the name Yahweh. Yahweh. See, we need a relationship with God. We have to know his name. (laughs) He has to know our name if we want peace that lasts. This is the only way, through wisdom, through a relationship with God, that we can have an unshakable peace that only God can provide. It's not a peace that's full It's not not a peace that's complete. It's a peace that can satisfy in this life, but never fully satisfy because we need something more, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Wisdom helps restore the peace we lost inside of us and the peace we lost with those around us. We lost with all those around us. Now, when we seek to be in relationship with God and do things God's way, it has the added benefit of improving our relationships with those around us. (laughs) With our family and friends and co-workers, neighbors. Proverbs 327 says this: Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. See, wisdom helps us avoid the sin of omission, the sin of omission. You know the sin of omission is the sin of omission is the sin of not doing the right thing. It's not doing the wrong thing, that's the sin of commission. The sin of omission is doing nothing when you should have done something. Have you ever heard the the phrase, it's the thought that counts? Any of you said that? You lied. (laughs) It's not the thought that counts. It's not the thought that counts. The Bible says, if you know to not withhold good from someone to whom it is due, you need to do it. when it's in your power to act. So that's one type of, uh, of brokenness that can be restored through wisdom as we begin to do good things for those around us. But it can also help us not do the sin of commission, like actually sinning against our neighbor and those around us. The sin of commission is doing the wrong thing. We see that in verses 28 through, 20, uh, through 31. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. See, wisdom, God's words and ways, it helps us not only avoid doing the wrong thing or think about doing the right thing, it actually helps us do the right thing. It helps us take that next step I wanted to give a small illustration that hopefully you will be able to apply to other areas of your life. Uh, but this happens to me in parking lots. I'm walking in a parking lot, usually in a shopping center, and I see a piece of trash on the ground. Maybe you've had this happen to you. I think you pro- all probably have. Now, uh, it kind of strikes me, like, should I leave it there or should I not? I didn't litter. <laughs> I didn't put the trash there. I didn't do the sin of commission so should I pick the trash up or not I know it's a good thing that I can do Catherine Watts is nodding her head pick that trash up Jonathan <laughs> and sometimes I do now it could be very easy to be in that parking lot all day picking up trash because then you see another piece of trash You're like I got to pick that one up otherwise I'm going to sit against God that's not how this works This is where wisdom comes in, right? Because there are other good things you could be doing with your life. You could be studying or or sharing the gospel or being a good parent or doing things around the house. So there's wisdom that comes into play of when do we do that thing that God is calling us to do and when there are good opportunities but we choose not to do them because there's some other good that God is calling us to Now, does picking up that piece of trash in that parking lot help restore the Garden of Eden? I think, in some small way, it actually does. I think if you do it as unto the Lord, there is something spiritual in that act of obedience to God that will last forever. He knows how to carry it on. I don't don't understand it, I think it's a bit of a mystery. But can we ever fully restore the Garden of Eden? No matter how much trash we pick up or all the good things we do. And hopefully this week as you encounter good opportunities, you will think about, Lord, do you want me to do this good thing or not? But can we ever fully restore the Garden of Eden? No. (laughs) We can't restore paradise. And if a pastor says that you can have paradise or a politician or a business leader or a family member or a relative, anyone says that you can have paradise in this life through this, this, or that, it's not true. It's not true. Because there's an angel. There's an angel that is guarding the way to the tree of life with a flaming sword. You can't get back. I can't get back. See, we need someone who can get back to the tree. See, the Lord will restore the garden through Christ Jesus. The Lord will restore the garden of Eden through Jesus Christ. Verses 32 through 35. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get shame. God promises to bless the righteous. Do we have any righteous in here tonight? No. (laughs) See, last time I checked, if I'm a descendant of Adam or of Eve, I'm not upright. I'm actually perverse. I'm not righteous. I'm wicked. I'm not humble. I'm a mocker. I'm not wise, I'm a fool. See, we need someone to come and rescue us. We need a savior. We need a gardener. Verses 19 and 20 say this. We're going to jump back to verses 19 and 20 because they, they help us understand the big scope of the Bible. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. See, through wisdom, God created everything. We need a little bit of a second creation. See, God can lead us back to the garden through wisdom, through his creative power, through wisdom itself. And remember, wisdom is actually a metaphor for God. It's not that wisdom is God, but that God is wisdom, like God is love. God is not limited to that attribute, but that's one of his attributes. That's part of who God is. Part of who God is is his wisdom. He has that characteristic. It's an attribute of God. It's a a metaphor. It's a word picture. It's poetry. Now, Proverbs chapter 3 is talking about creation. So through wisdom, through God, creation came about. But there's a much more expansive passage that I'm going to flip to in Proverbs chapter 8. If you want to flip there, you can, or I'm going to put it on the screen. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 31. I'm going to read these verses. Proverbs 8, 22 through 31, it expands on the verses we just read. The Lord brought me wisdom Forth as first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were, were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs of overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its place, Or its fields, or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. God created everything through wisdom. Wisdom is God. God is is kind of captured by this metaphor of what wisdom is. This is not a full revelation. This is not a full definition. This is not a full picture of who God is. If all you ever understand of God is that God is wisdom, you'll, you'll never understand God. So a man came along named Paul, who identifies who wisdom is Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 17 I think I jumped ahead Colossians 1:15 and 17 I'll just read it The Son of man is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you hear the similarities between Proverbs 3, Proverbs 8, and Colossians 1? Paul is making this connection. Paul is telling us that Christ Jesus is wisdom. That Christ Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. Christ Jesus is the imperfect, perfect embodiment of who God is and who wisdom is because he fully encapsulates every attribute of God, including wisdom. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. So if Jesus is wisdom, how does that change how we read Proverbs 3? So you can flip back to Proverbs chapter 3. Jesus is wisdom. How does this change how we read this? Starting in verse 13. Blessed are those who find Christ. For those who gain understanding. For Christ is more profitable than silver. And yields better returns than gold. Christ is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with him. Long life is in Christ's right hand. In his left hand are riches and honor. Christ's ways are pleasant ways, and all his paths are peace. Christ is a tree of life to those who take hold of him. Those who hold Christ fast will be blessed. How is this possible? Jesus Christ, through another tree, (laughs) the cross, has taken our curse so that the wicked can become righteous, so that the house of the wicked can become the home of the holy. That is what Christ Jesus has done for us by his sacrifice on the cross. If you want peace with God, if you want peace with your neighbors, if you want peace with those around you, Christ. If you want eternal rest, Christ. If you want blessing that never fades, Christ. If you want forgiveness, Christ. Christ is is called the last Adam. Christ is called the second Adam. Adam. Because he's the perfect man. He always obeyed God. He always lived God's ways and understood God's words. So the gospel is that you and I, we're never going to measure up to Christ. But that's okay. Because he grants us his record. He says, I will measure up for you. And now, go and bear fruit. (laughs) go and walk in the ways of wisdom go and walk in the paths of peace how do we accept that through repentance repent of our sins we say god i'm a fool <laughs> i'm a fool but jesus isn't i trust him and then live a life in that way christ is the second adam and he's taken us back to the garden He's going to lead us home. Remember where the tree of life appears? In the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In the book of Proverbs. and the very last book of the Bible. In the very last chapter. The book of Revelation. Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's Christ. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The Lord will restore the garden and peace that lasts through Christ Jesus. He already has in some ways, in a a partial way. But one day he will do it in a full and complete way when Christ comes back. I heard this illustration, this is my closing, uh, from Timothy Keller. I think it's a good way to end this sermon. Have you ever had a dream where something not good happens, but something bad happens? Right? It's your, you're dreaming and something terrible happens, a nightmare. Someone you love dies. Someone you love dies. A, a child, a parent, a sibling perishes in your dream. It just hits you, doesn't it? It just hits you, just like morning, and you're sad, and you can't believe this happened. And then you wake up, <laughs> and isn't it a great feeling when you realize, oh, my husband or my wife, they're lying right next to me, they're still here, my, my son, he's still in his crib, <laughs> my child, they're still here. There's this amazing feeling of life, of thankfulness, that it's all been a bad dream. Well, when the final trumpet sounds, when Christ Jesus comes back, it's gonna be like that. It's gonna be waking up to peace, waking up to eternal life through Christ Jesus. And anyone who is in Christ anyone who has known him, your family members, your friends, co-workers, those people that know Christ Jesus are going to be there. And you're going to wake up. You're going to see them again. You're going to know eternal peace. I'm going to be there. (laughs) I pray you're going to be there too. And I know you will. Through Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for peace that lasts. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the garden that all is not lost. That through the perfect son, through wisdom in the flesh, we get to go back to the garden, and this garden will actually be a garden that's even better. And we will get experience peace that lasts with our loved ones who also are in you. Lord, we love you and we need you. Please bless our time together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.